As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay, it's Dainer and Hey, welcome to the latest edition to hear that podcast ground. Presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you on a beautiful Wednesday morning in the middle of the offseason. How are we doing, Jay? Doing great. I'd be better if I had tickets to Slipknot tonight. I do not, <laughs> but that there's still time to go... Although Heritage Bank Arena is the worst place to see a concert, so I don't know if I want to do that. My wife will not go with me to see Slipknot, so I will either go solo or maybe I'll I'll find somebody. But yeah, it's it's a good Wednesday, even if I don't get to see that show. Man, the idea of going solo to see Slipknot at Heritage (laughs) Bank Arena is just a combination of three things that are just fantastic. I just appreciate you opening by being completely on brand. It's great. I'm sure. And I'm assuming stop at Arby's on your way home. You know, it's like, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate J uh, tour. You you know, you have to, that's the pregame meal because I'm going to get too old to eat food like that, that late at night. Like what? Delicious, right, Jay? Well, yeah, but it's it's still fast food. It, I mean, it's delicious for a reason. It's not great for you. Oh, uh, well, actually, we're going to get to an Arby's question later. We're going to get into a mailbag. Yes. Thank to all of you that have been uh, sending in your mailbag questions. We're going to get to a bunch of stuff there. Questions on wide receiver four, um, something, some more offensive stuff, some injury bug stuff, some good questions that you guys have sent in. We want to get to uh, a bunch of stuff to get to today. Um, Jay has a story up on Jamar Chase and the sophomore season and, you know, the sophomore slump, right? I, I don't know if people uh, think of sophomore slumps just because of the alliteration, because uh, the sophomore ascension, the sophomore jump isn't as good as the sophomore slump coming right off of your mouth. And so it kind of makes me wonder if that's where this came from. But I think you uh, you talked to Jamar, you talked to Zach Taylor, you talked to who's a great person to talk to about that mm. Tyler Boyd a bunch of people and and they they were great Jamar was great and there's a lot of really interesting research involved in this your story which is up I highly recommend everybody goes and reads it of course we have our our deal going on the site athletic.com in case you didn't know uh 
And so I want to dive into that a little bit more. I think it's a really interesting conversation around, um, you know, one of the stars of this team without question. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll have some news for you. We're going to do some breakout surprise candidates. I wrote about this in the mailbag um, last week, but I had some other ones I wanted to touch on. And Jay, I wanted to hear yours. Um, and also, it's going to be a chance for us to bring you a conversation with uh, I had with Akeem Davis-Gaither, um, who is coming off his foot injury that kind of stopped him right as he was starting to come on last year. And so I caught up with him in the locker room yesterday, and it was a really good conversation about where he's at, where he thinks he's going, and um, kind of why he thinks he might get there. I, I thought it was a really it was a fun conversation with Akeem, so wanted to bring you that. We'll, we'll get to that later. We will bring in Mo Egger. Uh, no pretenses about this. We will not talk about anything Bengals-related. It's just it, it's all Tommy <laughs> Pham, Jock Peterson. You just got to let the man do what he's meant to do. I feel like this is the story that he was born to talk about, and, uh, and it's fun. And, you know, fantasy football's involved. The Bengals aren't involved directly, but uh, I'm not going to lie. It's hysterical. It makes me laugh. And at this point in the offseason, if we can check those two boxes, I'll take it. If he doesn't name his team Tommy Pham Slap this year or forever, I will be very disappointed. I, he, I wonder how many Pham Slap names will be on the ESPN Fantasy Football site. There will be fall. many. He already confirmed to me he has called dibs on his team name in all leagues being Big Dog in Vegas next year. Oh, okay. There's another good one. Yeah, so that's uh, that he, it, That was confirmed yesterday during my hour on uh, ESPN 1530 with Mo. Uh, so he'll be back later. We, we it, We'll have some fun with this because what else? gonna do jay let's have fun yeah. right Maybe. let's, let's have fun let's have fun it's you uh so all of that is coming your way uh let's start let's run through some news real quick uh news not a ton of news from the tuesday ota again we're still <laughs> we're still in the not real portion of the program even by off-season standards uh, other teams are because they went on a different schedule than the Bengals who, who pushed everything back so still no helmets still no one-on-one still no anybody against anybody everything is against air everybody is out there just in jerseys and shorts um, it's as non-football-y as you could possibly get so Again, these are and these are hour long workouts that just you're you're not necessarily getting a ton from them, but we can take attendance and can judge off some things. Uh, news wise, uh, Alex Kappa was there. He had the core muscle deal in quotes uh, last week that he's dealing with. Uh, Zach Taylor again sort of suggested that he's not going to probably take part in this, you know, spring summer off season, but um, all signs point toward him being fine and being there for camp and all the things that matter. So uh, right now at guard, you have Jackson Carmen at left guard and Akima Deniji at the right guard spot as Kappa is is on the side, but he was there yesterday. Uh, Khalid Kareem moved over to being on the side, working on the side uh, with the injury folks. Um, don't really have a specific on that, but I mean – I don't. We don't know if it's serious or not, but certainly the fact that he's over there doing all the stuff suggests that it is not. Who else was over there, Jay? Uh, there was a lot. There was all the the regulars, uh, the linebackers, ba- uh, Marcus Bailey. Um, I'm trying to go through the top of my head now. Joseph Osai is still over there. Logan Wilson, um, J- Batchy is still there. It's it's it was the the regular cast that is. Uh, been there the last couple of weeks. The, the only the only newcomer was Kareem, which is a good sign. If what whatever reason he missed last week 
must be minor because you know as you mentioned capo came back after a week off and was not not doing anything at all so at least for Kareem to be over there it would lead you to believe it's not serious we don't know that for sure but um it, it, it is a it, it's a decent number of guys I, I think there was about eight or nine over there at 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 the the peak of it but it it's mostly no there's no real concern i would all those guys should be back for the start of camp they're just bringing them along slowly uh, T. Higgins also over there uh, yeah, on the side working, which is he's up amongst those regulars we spoke of. Uh, a few people that weren't there at practice, uh, Vaughn Bell, Jermaine Pratt, Tyler Shelvin, uh, safety Mike Thomas uh, were not there. And then, of course, Hendrickson, Trey Hendrickson and Jesse Bates continue to not be there, um, as we've talked about plenty. Um Bell was a flight missed issue. Uh, according to Zach Taylor, he wouldn't comment specifically on any of the other guys not being there um, other than to point out that all this is voluntary. And honestly, judging by what we've seen across airports across this great country of ours, yeah. uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't if more people weren't flight related or all flight related or something like that as a much of a disaster as uh, the airports are right now. Yeah, and you don't know where these guys are. You, you could say, well, he only lives five hours away or whatever it is, but there's no guarantee they went home. They may have gone to Vegas to try to be a big dog. They may have gone to uh, <laughs> to see family in California. You just never know. And it is, it's, it was. There were so many flights canceled this weekend. It's, it's not a stretch to believe that 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 caused problems for Von Bell and, and possibly some of those other guys. Did appear that uh, the receivers were being big dogs in Vegas this weekend. Uh, according to their Instagram stories of Tyler Boyd and T Higgins and Jamar Chase were with them and they appeared to be having a very good time and big dogging it. Uh, so good for them, man. And Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. Young, fun, big dogs. Hey, run, right? Have go, go have yourself a good time. Safe here to be doing, uh, that, um, other news. Um, yeah, we did. Zach Taylor did talk, but not, not a ton to come of that. Um, open locker room, not a lot. Joe, I, I was this is kind of just an interesting story. I don't know if it's news. It's not news, but it was just interesting. Uh, so kind of hanging out after practice, all of a sudden I look over and and Joe Burrow is is lining up with just his with his, his foot on the out of bounds line, like in a track sprinter type position. And I'm like, what is Joe about to do? And he just takes off. I mean, like hard sprint now he's got the trainers around him who are holding the ipad one holding the ipad another one halfway up joey bose halfway up uh looked like maybe it looked like it stopped watching his hand and uh and you know they have the catapults on which is your your data system of everything you're doing so they can get it all the information on all the physical stuff and speeds and things like that and they were kind of looking at him and burrow's going as fast as he can and I talked to Burrow a little bit about that afterwards, and he was like, you know, I, I'm just trying to get an extra work. You know, these workouts are so light, especially for quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. they, they don't really get any real workout in. And so if you're out there, you're trying to feel like you want to get some actual physical exertion. Sometimes you just do this. He doesn't do it all the time, but sometimes he does afterwards. And he really, if he's going to go do it, he's going to go do it and try to open it up. I think he was trying to hit a number. Yeah. I, I think he was trying to see if he could hit a number. He was really getting after it. Uh, Drew Sample was also out there kind of running afterwards after practice, and it was pointed out that he, he was just doing it because, again, he he wants to he, – he didn't feel like he was getting enough out of that practice that he wanted to to kind of keep him – get himself to the level that he wants to be at this point in his training. All that stuff's real interesting. 
Because the data dumps they do off of that, um, they can take that information back in, see where everybody's at, what mile per hour they're going at. Because some of these guys in these practices are just not always given the opportunity to really open it up, really see where they're at. And so you can look at that, see you need to be somewhere else for next week or for your off-season program. And you can really use those numbers as a guide to see um, what you need to be doing more of or less of in practices and in your own program. So kind of fun stuff, but just, you know, just kind of burrow being burrow. Like I'm going to, I'm going after it. Like if I, if, if I'm doing sprints after practice, guess what I'm doing? I'm trying to go as fast as I possibly can. And, uh, I need the extra work. I don't care if I'm QB one or what I am. And, uh, Bengals fans, I know uh, love seeing that. I tweeted out the video, uh, of it. If you want to take a look at that again, not news, but just sort of interesting practice observations during a time of year where there aren't necessarily a ton of them. I mean, we've seen those stories from Brody about how competitive he is at ping pong and basketball and everything else. So it, it just makes sense and not optimal weather to be hitting a number. It was, it was approaching 90 degrees at the end of practice. And, um, maybe another day would have been better to try to hit that number, but maybe that was part of the challenge for him to do it in the heat and humidity. And, um, it is, it just, it kind of goes to what everybody has talked about that guy since he got here, just that, that leadership ability and, and doing everything he can to, to be the best that he can. No doubt. So uh, that was kind of the latest from there. The other the other bit of news that came from yesterday, Jackson Carmen uh, declined to comment uh, when asked about the piece in the defector. Um, I'm not, I'm not quite sure why Jay and I somehow became the villainized face of this thing, as was the case after we talked about the fact Carmen wasn't asked about the story and the allegations last week. Uh, we, we've always attempted to be transparent and conversational here on the pod. When we want people to feel like they always know what we know, even if it's deep in the weeds of the beat. Um, in regards to last week, we, you know, we wanted to continue to be transparent about what happened, give it the proper time on the pod to recognize its importance, and and even like specifically explain and express some regret over the fact the question was not asked the previous day. So we did. Uh, we didn't want to just let the issue go silent and avoid it. We certainly could have. Everyone else did, and that's totally fine. Uh, in retrospect, I guess that's what we should have done. Uh, I'm not going to dive into details of the logistics of it again, but the latest facts are Carmen declined to comment on the defector's story as he was asked about it on Tuesday. Neither Carmen nor the Bengals took any more questions on the matter yesterday. Everyone with the Bengals continues to decline to talk about the story, and there continue to be no charges on the allegations. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's move forward, okay? Let's talk about um, the sophomore slump story, right? Alliterative sophomore slump <laughs> means that must be what to expect. Jay, I I, I like this. I, I as always, I like the story, but I I I like this idea too for this time of year with Jamar Chase coming off Offensive Rookie of the Year, coming off a almost unprecedented uh, first season. And, you know, kind of what comes next for him? Like, how can you possibly keep this up? What can you do next is sort of the thing that you, you hear a lot about Jamar Chase. How could he get better? Could he be better? And, and I'm, I'm curious what you thought in kind of going around and talking to everybody about this and doing some of the research on it on, on that question. Like, can he and how can he be better in year two? Yeah, I thought Zach made a great point on that where he he could have less numbers um lower numbers um across the board and still be a better player if a defense wants to take a guy away they can and you better believe there's going to be a lot of focus thrown at jamar we saw that 
midway through last year where defenses started playing him different and they found different ways to get him. And uh, there were games where he he was not as much of a factor, but th- that's what Zach was talking about is where the growth is going to come on more on the what he does mentally as opposed to uh, his physical traits and improving speed, hands, whatever that, you know, route running. It's about learning the DBs in the league. And there's, yes, they, they, they study these guys on film, but a lot of times you just, you truly can't get a feel for a way a guy wants to play you until you go head to head against them. And there's, there's a lot of teams on the schedule this year outside of the AFC North that were on the schedule last year. And he's, he's getting to know these, these DBs around the league. And that's what both Jamar and Zach said is, is going to be the next step. And, and, and setting these guys up and, and knowing their tendencies and, and playing off of them. And, you know, it's kind of, it kind of goes back to that story you wrote about Joe Burrow in his rookie year, where you asked all the guys, the, you know, pitcher and Zach and Brian, their, their five favorite plays. And I, I think it was Brian brought up the one against Cleveland where he saw out of the corner of his eye, the cornerback take a step or two forward, knew exactly what was coming, audible and beat it. And that's that's what Jamar is going to be dealing with and how a, how a guy wants to play him and, and how he can use his tendencies against him. Um, so it's he's got he did it again. He 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 already has goals written on his mirror. He said he, that was something that he talked about last year in training camp. Uh, he wouldn't tell me what the specific numbers were. He did say it was his yards and catches totals um i and it almost seems like a fool's errand to try to beat 13 touchdowns that's just he he said he's got to find what the minimum is he'll accept but numbers are a part of it but the bigger part is the the mental aspect and really getting to know these corners and and figuring out ways to set them up and beat them mentally not just with his his physical traits All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. One of the things that I thought that Zach Taylor said that I, in regards to this, that I thought I liked was, you know, it, it's not necessarily just about how Jamar gets better. It's about how he helps the team win mm-hmm. more and, and the understanding of him understanding how teams are going to f- play him more often and focus on him more often and having a better understanding of how the team can then attack that. So it's not necessarily about Jamar's numbers going up. He 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 can have a much greater impact on the team this year and his numbers not necessarily go up. It's very possible because it's it's about him and Burrow 
and, 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 and the staff, the coaching staff, understanding how to use the way teams are going to focus on him. And, and use that against them in the same way. I, I thought that was a you know an interesting piece of this too. It doesn't always necessarily come back to the numbers. His knowledge and interpretation of what teams are trying to do to him uh, is as important to Burrow and Zach Taylor and Jamar Chase as sort of a trio to make everybody on the whole offense shine and be more efficient. Yeah, I mean, Zach pulled that that the example right off the top of his head of, of the second Pittsburgh game last year because if, if you remember the first one, right at the end of the first half, Jamar gets behind the defense. They hit Joe hits him for a 34 yard touchdown. Um, really kind of set the stage for the second half of that game that they won 24 to 10. Um, again, they're at the 32 yard line this time in the rematch and single safety, Minka Fitzpatrick, similar alignment, one on ones everywhere. He sees Jamar running the same route and he, he cheats over to, to double Jamar. And that leaves T wide open on a one-on-one and 32-yard touchdown. And it's it's all because the same thing that, you know, you, you Minka Fitzpatrick trying to to play off the tendency of the Bengals and, and the Bengals countering and, and beating that cheat. And you're going to have that a lot. You're going to have a lot of teams rolling that safety toward Jamar. And it's just going to – that's why it's so important to have all these other weapons – Hayden Hurst, the new guy included at tight end, where where it's not just Jamar setting up the defense, it's it's Joe and, and really the whole Brian, Zach, the 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 whole play calling aspect of it. Um it's it's gonna be interesting to see what's what teams are trying to do if they are willing to just focus on Jamar and take him away. And it's just gonna create all kinds of opportunities for those other guys. You had in your in your story um a a ton of research on the second year jump for some of the most after the most some of the most successful rookie years that we've seen in the league and it's great stuff i highly recommend people go through and and peruse through and and you see a little bit of a pattern i was kind of curious about something and so i kind of piggybacked off this and jumped into just the last five years uh in this sort of new era uh, of of passing and and er- these great receivers that are coming up, so many of them in these draft classes, and and so impactful so quickly, which is it seems to be the differentiator now between maybe some of the um, the, the the older players or the, the previous generations. And so I went back and looked the last five years, minimum fifty five yards per game. So we can just kind of take some of the injury stuff out. Um, minimum ten games. 55 yards per game as a rookie in the last five years. And I went through the top 10 of that, that list. How about all of them jumped in average yards per game the next year? All went up except for one. Brandon Ayuk went from averaging 62 to 49. Everybody else, Justin Jefferson, 87 to 95. Now, Jamar had 85. He was second on the list. A.J. Brown went from 66 to 77. Terry McLaurin went from 66 to 75 yards per game. Juju Smith-Schuster went from 66 to 89. CeeDee Lamb went from 58 to 69. Cooper Cup went from 58 to 71. T. Higgins went from 57 to 78. DK Metcalf went from 56 to 81. There's partial answers to this. I mean, in, in that 
you know, a lot of these guys in their rookie seasons don't start quite taking off until about the first three, four, five weeks, and then boom, they really take off, and that kind of becomes their average of who they are as a player, and then that plays out the next year, and yeah, it's it's going to go higher. But I think it's important to point out, sophomore slump is nothing but alliteration, okay? Because in the recent era of top instant impact receivers, there has been no slump. There's been no slump. There have been guys that have actually put up more yards per game uh, almost universally across the league. And so it's when you're talking about expectations for Jamar Chase, can he actually be better? Yeah. And Jay, I loved you talking to Jamar about Justin Jefferson, his buddy from LSU, who's also right there at the top of the list because he somehow got better when a lot of people said, how could you possibly get better too? Yeah. And, and, I guess Tyler Boyd was right because Tyler Boyd didn't want any. I mean, he talked to me, he answered all my questions, but he was just really dismissive of the whole notion of sophomore slump. He doesn't believe in it. He thought it was just like, uh, he didn't say it was alliteration, but he, he basically said it was crap. Um, and it is, it is interesting that what you've done there with, with the last five years to see these guys, because it is, you, you, if you have a breakout year like that, you are going to get more attention. And somehow, even with the more attention, all of them but one still got better. And even Brandon Ayuk, he didn't have more yards per game, but his yards per catch went way up. He went from 12.5 to 14.8. And and part of that was because he only played 12 games is as that rookie year, and he played all 17 last year. So that's, that's naturally playing more is going to affect – your yards per game, you're bad. You're you're bound to have a, a an off day or two in there, especially when Debo Samuel was such a big part of that offense. So um, it is. I, I think if 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 people out there are, are wondering what's next for Jamar Chase, it sounds crazy to think he could put up even better numbers this year. But it's it's probably more likely it gets better than than lowers. Let's bring in some of your conversation with Jamar Chase yesterday, Jay. I think it's, it's good, especially when we start talking about him and his boy Justin Jefferson. Uh, is uh, Good stuff here. So here's a little bit of Jay talking with Jamar Chase. I looked up the top 15 rookie receiving seasons of all time. There's only one player that increased his catches, yards, and touchdowns from year one to year two. Okay. Your buddy Justin Jefferson. Oh. Uh, so Why is it always a competition with this guy? <laughs> Well, what it is is I mean, I'm not so much looking at that, but just what what do you think? I, I look at it like yeah. <laughs> what do you think the key is to, to avoiding that cliche sophomore slump? What do what do you have to do to? And it's not necessarily putting up the same numbers. You could have yeah. Um, um, basically just just get more comfortable with the offense. Um, maybe I get moved around a little more. Maybe to see different things on film. Um, and then just making. That, that spectacular catch now, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That, that Justin did a lot of that this year. And um, I feel like those contested catches will make, make the team get more energy, you know, after certain players, maybe the ball come back to me again. So um, just making the tough catches, 
and you know, just more, more, learning more spots in offense. I think that's going to be a big improvement for me. Coach Taylor said a big thing is, you know, your rookie year, those are just nameless, faceless DBs. There. Now you know you know what their tendencies are. You can kind of get that on film a yeah. little bit. But yeah. did, did you start picking that up as the year went on? Like when you play a team for the second time, I, yeah. I know they're going to do this. So I really – the first main person that I noticed was um, – just a freaking cat from the Browns. It's the board. Board Denzel, yeah. So I, I like I like his game a lot, actually. Um, he's one of the most patient. He reminds me of Derek Stingley, actually. You know what I'm saying? He, he doesn't get beat often. When he does, he gets beat really bad. So um, he's real patient. So that's one person that, you know, tendencies that doesn't really show on film. And, you know, you just got to watch his film real, real close and check out everything you can on him. So I, that's somebody that, you know what I'm saying, that, that does it. You only got three snaps against him the second time. That's what I'm you, saying. <laughs> so, like, I was low-key low looking forward to it, but I low-key yeah. wasn't. So, like, that, that was one person that I, I did watch a lot of film on the, the first, after the first time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Were you the intended target on his pick six? Here. In the first game? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What, was that, was that or, something? Or route by Jamar Chase. <laughs> really? Not or Joe? Route. Why? What was Um, I didn't sell a route. Okay. And I didn't give eyes. I just it was a horrible route all around. So, you're one to year two there's obviously differences what what is the biggest difference that you feel right now as opposed to this time last year um it's just like i said it's just me getting the offense fully down like i want to i want to make sure i know like last year i was just out there running routes having fun again you know yeah. now I, I got i got small details in the routes now i can learn how to set people up for the next route yeah um so it's just all about you know just getting the, the small stuff down now. Uh, I feel like that's going to make me a lot better. Is your mirror clean right now, or do you already have the goals um, on? I got two right now. I'm not going to say that. I, I got two of them so yeah. far. So, yeah. uh, are they – is it – I don't think they're hard. They're pretty yeah. just – like a little bit more than what I had last year. Okay. Um, like catches yeah. catches in yards for real. Okay. So I got to find my touchdown minimum and stuff. So, yeah. uh, still, you know, going around right now. You can let us know what those are in training camp or before? the season starts? I'll give you a list of maybe two before training yeah. camp or something. So, you know what I'm saying? I don't mind. Yeah. I don't want to give y'all all of them. No, yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of uh, Jay and Jamar. And, uh, you know, I, the one thing that was sort of said to me was, you know, I nobody, and, I, and this didn't feel like anybody feeding because this was not something that somebody had to say to me. They said, there's just, no way that anybody thinks that you're going to see any let up in Jamar Chase. He's just not that kind of guy. He's just he's like Burrow in that way. Yeah. You know, I think there's a reason that those guys were kind of connected and, and and found such football chemistry with each other. They view everything the same way. They view practice. They view everything about working on football the same way, and that competitiveness is there. And you know. It appears to be you know, they. There's not really any worry from anyone in the building. Like, well, what if he? What if he gets a little lax and a little big head? And that just doesn't need to seem to be anything that's coming into the conversation there. Yeah, and that's important because you think you think about it. You he, he makes that huge leap in his final year at LSU, has that great year, and then you go to the league, and yes, you're the number five pick, but there's there's still that that question of jumping to the next level, and how's he going to do against? grown men that are trying to defend him and he has this huge breakout year and it would be very very it's human nature to figure to think hey i'm i'm great i'm one of the best there is 
and to maybe let off the throttle a little bit. And he's not doing that. I think it was Tyler Boyd said that he's been totally locked in that you, you see it even in OTAs, um, how, how hard he's working whenever it is a, it is, it's not a half speed drill, but no, but it's not, it's not regular where, like you said, it's just against air and, and he's dialed in and it's not just on the field and practice. It's in meetings. It's working out in the weight room. Um, it's, it's, it's all of that. And yeah, I agree with you that it, it is very similar to Joe Burrow where they are self driven and nothing, no amount of success is going to change that because it's, I, I think they both realize that what what this league is it, it can catch up to you in a hurry and just because you're on top one day doesn't mean you're going to stay there without working you know i really like the t higgins comparison what was such a i mean what was such a big part of last year at this time right hmm. the coaching staff and everybody on in in the building really raving about how well t higgins looked how he had a, was approaching his second season, how much comfort he had, how different he looked physically, and people really felt like he was just right. He was like the unanimous. When we do the uh, player, the ascension player, the leap year guy. I mean, it was unanimous. Him and Logan Wilson were just set to take a huge jump, and and he did. We pointed out the yards per game, and we know who he was. The second half of last season was a top ten receiver. Um, I think it's important to keep that in mind when we talk about the second year thing. I mean, there's a real motivation when you get that taste of the success the first year too. And I think T's a perfect example of what that looked like for Bengals fans that 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 want that are thinking about that at all. Is I mean, T just set the perfect path for it. That's why I like to talk to T and and what he had to say about it too, which is just sort of you know he almost took you through his thought process a little bit from last year, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of went back to that same thing where it's just it's it's all about staying consistent. That you you have to you don't have to necessarily work harder, but you you just have to do everything you did the year before. Stay consistent with with your regimen, and um, and we did. I didn't put that in the story, but we did talk about um, some of the 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 making his body bigger and better, and and how that was kind of in his own mind. It wasn't a direction from the coaching staff or the the strength and conditioning catch staff it was something he knew he needed to do um that's not that's not the route that jamar has taken this offseason I, I i think he's kind of the ideal size for for what he is but um it was it, it was interesting that t did that even with jamar's breakout year you would think a guy comes in as a rookie and has the, those crazy numbers that the other guys are going to fall off and they didn't t got better with Jamar and that's just kind of the the whole philosophy that went into drafting Jamar he's gonna make everyone around him better yeah and you know that you get through that first year and you learn what you do great and maybe the few things that teams did to slow you or that you were a little bit not sure about how you know, you need to improve on and the ability to take one off season, feel like you can check off the things that you weren't so sure about in your rookie year that, that were maybe used against you or whatever and fix those is a, is a part of, I think, why you see all of these great players kind of universally taking a bigger jump. That and just usage in general that teams want to utilize these guys that kind of become instant stars as rookies. Keep all of that in mind uh, as we start talking about Jamar Chase and uh, coming off his Offensive Rookie of the Year campaign. All right, let's just take a quick break. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So let's talk about breakout surprises for the Bengals this year. You know, this was a question asked in my mailbag. Uh, I kind of went a little bit into it there, who my choices were, but I thought it'd be a chance to kind of dive a little bit more into those and and Jay let you um, weigh in as well. Uh, I had one of them was Akeem Davis Gaither. I had Hayden Hurst and Jonah Williams. I want to start here. Uh, before I talk about why I picked Akeem Davis Gaither, who went out midway through last season with a foot injury and is uh, back now. And, you know, it felt like he was really starting to take off right when his injury happened. I mean, he was really great on special teams. He was playing next to Logan Wilson um, in in their nickel package and really seemed to be figuring things out and coming into his own. And then it was cut short and... um He's back now. He's 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 full go. And I want to talk to him kind of about that process, where he's at now and everything else. And it was a fun little conversation. Uh, so we'll come back and talk about some more breakouts. But first, here is one of my top ones, and that is now entering his third season out of App State, uh, Akeem Davis-Gaither. From the time to kind of last year when you go down, I mean – Felt like did you feel like you were starting to, starting to really involved. figure it out? Yeah. Getting in, getting in my, getting in a good groove and, and getting more like confidence. I mean, I think the game all about confidence. I think I was starting to really feel like I was getting there. And I mean, I, I mean, maybe the injury was necessary for me. So I, mean, I don't look down on it. Yeah, just got to grow from it now. What do you mean? Maybe it was necessary. Like it just it, it helps slow you down or think about stuff differently or how, uh, how so? Oh no, I guess this added another chip on my shoulder. Yeah. But now I feel like I gotta prove myself. Again, and yeah. I think that definitely, and I think that's been my career. Just having a chip on my shoulder. I think that kind of revisited that by the injury and staying out so long. Yeah. How did you get? Was that tough? I mean, was that tough to get yeah, through the really, beginning? Yeah. I mean, I mean, really the whole time. Yeah. Especially, with it, I mean, seeing them in the playoffs. I mean, you being happy for guys, but I mean, you definitely want to be out there yourself. And that was my first time ever missing a, a game ever in my life. So I mean, that was definitely different. Just sitting there on the sideline watching it. Yeah. So. What happened on the play? You remember? Remember the play? Uh, I'm sure you it, remember the play like yeah, clear the play, day, but <laughs> it, it really wasn't really nothing. I was just kind of like stepping up and up and just I just felt it pop. Yeah. So I guess it, it, it might have not had hit all the way. Yeah. You know, it wasn't nothing like nothing drastic. I planted hard and it just snapped. Just like a light uh, turn and just I just felt it pop. Did you know it right away? Yeah. A lot of guys with those say that. Like yeah. you, they knew right away. I, mean, I came over to Marcus and told him, I was like, I think I just uh, rebuilt my foot. Yeah. And I kept trying to play. I'm like, ah. Yeah. So I tried to, to tape it up. Tape it up. That didn't work. Yeah. And I, uh, I did a QR return play and I tried to run. I yeah. hopped down on, a, on one leg the whole way down. And just, I still bought the guy, but. Yeah. But I had to hop down on one bit. You got the guy, though. Yeah, I did. Should be pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> Should be pointed out. You did get the guy. Yeah. 
I mean, do you, do you feel like this is a, you know, a huge year for you where you just felt like you're about to take off? Like you just, it was like yeah, a, a yeah. kind of stopped you, stopped your start a little bit yeah. there, but now you got kind of ready to really yeah. take off. Or? Yeah, it kind of, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to me because I mean, it seemed like it always happened like this for me. Uh, high school, college, where first two years is trying to get the groove of it, and something drastic happened, like an injury or something, then mm-hmm. at that it just take off. So what happened in high school? That, that high school, I just, the first high school, I was just trying to. Uh, I mean, it, just getting in the groove of playing varsity. Cause I, I, yeah. I played varsity my first my freshman year. So just getting in the groove playing. For I mean, you didn't school. just show up as a freshman on varsity and just just run it. Nah, I mean, <laughs> my dad was like a legend in my high school, so oh, I, really? oh, I, I yeah, was shattering yeah. his foot at first. Yeah. So I had that. People were doubting whether you could live up to the to the foot. Yeah, they called him after every game. Yeah. Telling what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and that happened for like two years in. After my sophomore year, I said, man, I'm tired of hearing that, so. Yeah. That's my junior, my junior year, that's when I really took off. Yeah, they stopped calling, they stopped calling your dad, they're telling your dad something different at that good, point. Good news, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> and then college was the same way, kind of, for you then, huh? Yeah, college, yeah. No, college, for, uh, first year, um, red shorter, then after that, uh, I had the knee scope. Mm. Then uh, my red shirt sophomore year, I was kind of, uh, I took off in special I was special player of the year. Yeah. And after that, junior, senior, I just took off. So you were, I mean, you battled through injury stuff the first couple of years then in college. In college. So just like kind of a similar type uh, of a feel to that? Or is this me school, so I, I want to say it was yeah. last year, but. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, special, like you said, special teams playing here. Then, I mean, yeah. you, I know Darren loved what you were doing on special yeah, teams here. Did you feel yeah. like that was kind of, you had carved out, definitely carved out a role there for oh, sure? Special teams, yeah, for sure. Yeah. With that. One of the leaders on special team. I mean, we got a lot of guys to lead, but yeah. I think I'm one of them. So, what's your goals? Like, you have goals for this year? Or I, mean, is it, I mean, any, 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 any that you're any, voicing? Anybody got to have a goal. Yeah, any that you're voicing? Any that... I mean, I just, take, I, think I just take every day just getting better, being better than I was the previous yeah. day, and especially being better than I was last year. Yeah. And, just, and showing my work to, to this team and to the uh, all the organization in the league. A great to uh, catch up with Akeem who uh, has the big chip on his shoulder. Um, and I thought it was interesting him talking about how, and this is like, it's it's like the same thing that's happened to him before. First couple of years of high school, he kind of sputtered and dealt with some stuff and then took off. And the first couple of years at App State, he kind of sputtered and dealt with some stuff and then took off. And I think he feels like uh, he's going through that exact same process again and about to take off. And, you know, the honesty of... Yeah, man, it was so great to be a part of a team that went to the Super Bowl, but that stinks. You want to play. Like you want to yeah. play in the Super Bowl, and you and you couldn't, and you felt you could have been out there playing and helping your team. And uh, But anyway, good to catch up with Akeem, who we haven't really talked to um, since really early on in the last season. You know, he's kind of similar to Jamar in the fact that he could, he, he could be a much better player without the stats showing it because – they're they're not going to play three linebackers very often, and and you've got Pratt and you've got Logan Wilson, you've got guys ahead of him. How often is he going to be able to get on the field, barring injury? But he's 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 terrific on on special teams. He's good, and if they do go nickel, where he can get it instead of getting the extra defensive back on, he can match up on uh, a running back out of the backfield. I just there's a lot that he can do. Um, I, I just I just wonder, I. I as far as breakout player goes, will the opportunity be there for him to, to truly kind of take that next step? Um, I, 
I've got Chris Evans up there. I agree with you on Hayden Hurst. I, I think there's a real opportunity there for him to to be a guy that puts up numbers that that he hasn't seen before. He's not gonna he's not gonna put up Kelsey type numbers in this offense with those receivers. But I'm I'm really interested in Chris Evans if he wins the the kickoff return job if they elect to to not use Joe Mixon as much on third down and and you you, you talked about the 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 fourth wide receiver um, piece in in your mailbag and you know could he be that like Geo um, they would line up in the slot and yes you've got Tyler Boyd but if they want to go four wide. You can put Tyler Boyd outside. You can put a guy like Chris Evans in the slot. I just I think he's a guy, again, not gonna not gonna put up crazy numbers, but can definitely break out compared to the numbers he put up last year. I mean, when they went four and five wides on third and longs and things like that, he always went out there as a receiver and, and working underneath as a slot guy who can who could catch and run. I mean, they would run that play where everyone would sprint ahead and block, and then they would throw underneath over the middle to Evans and let him try to weave his way into possibly picking up a third and long. And it it worked on a couple occasions, and he really obviously has a knack for that. And then let's not the difference. You know, we mentioned Geo. I don't I don't see them in the same bucket because they never used Geo quite like they used Evans at times last year and that was down the field like mm. put him on the outside running the go for a touchdown in Detroit or in the preseason and and really just whipping the, anytime you try to put linebackers out there and, and I think showed a lot of skill in that regard and, and also I would have Evans on this list because and I gave him a lot of consider consideration it was an honorable mention for me is that look Running backs just get hurt, man. Like they yeah. they get hurt, and the idea that Mixon or Pirine, because you know I think we're learning that they're not buying Joe Mixon as a three down third down guy. I mean they they took him off the field at the end of last year mm-hmm. uh, in almost every two minute and and passing down situation in favor of Pirine. So if either of those two guys gets hurt, you're going to see a lot more of Chris Evans. And the idea that both of those running backs are going to stay healthy all year, I don't, you know, that's probably the most unlikely out of anything. And we start talking about where can injuries come from just because of the nature of the position. So um, for that fact, you've now got three different ways that Chris Evans could really enter the equation, entering his second year with a point to prove and, and a little bit of that taste of success and proof of success where they'll be wanting to give him more opportunities. I love that. I, I, I agree. I think Chris Evans is going to be a name to watch that we might be talking a lot about as we get to the middle to end point of next season. You know who also loves this conversation on Chris Evans is the president of the Chris Evans fan club, Mo Egger. Yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to segue in, Jay? Are you trying to segue in? Because it is Doing that my best. time. It is that time. Um, before we get to Mo, uh, you want to talk about Hayden Hurst? I mean, we I wrote about yeah. him. We both have him. I, I think he is really being underrepresented when when we talk about the the guys that can really have a big effect. Um, on this team next year, everybody's gonna talk about the receivers, and people think think of him as sort of like, oh, the they didn't get CJ, so they downgraded. I I don't necessarily view it that way. I know he doesn't view it that way, and I don't think the Bengals staff views it that way. I, I really think Hayden Hurst could end up putting up some really sneaky big numbers in this offense. Yeah, well, you mentioned it in your in your mailbag where the 
the floor for him would seem to be CJ's numbers. And he can go beyond that. And, you know, he 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 spoke to reporters yesterday and kind of echoed some of the things he said in his introductory press conference where he, he doesn't think he's ever been used properly. And it's clear. He's, he, he said a couple times, you know, I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody, but it's clear there's a chip on his shoulder that that he has not been allowed to showcase what he can truly do yet. And he already through OTAs feels like the, the Bengals are embracing his skill set and, and willing to utilize it and what he's seen installed in the offense so far. So it, and people for, he's a first round pick. He was a first round pick for a reason. He's got more speed than CJ. He may not be the blocker CJ was, but he's, he's going to be more of a down field threat. Whereas CJ was the underneath guy and you could always count on him to break a, a tackle or two every now and then he would get open behind the defense up the seam. You, you remember the Baltimore game, the, the, the third down play against um, Jacksonville there. He had his moments, but I think Hayden Hurst is going to be a lot more consistent in, in providing bigger chunk plays than, than CJ was. Yeah. I think if you were, if you were looking at it as like a percentage piece of what they would offer, I mean, I think maybe you're getting the same overall impact, but I think you're getting maybe 60% of your impact in the passing game compared to, you know, 52% in the passing game with CJ. It's a little, you're a little bit more in the passing game, a little bit less as a blocker. Um, but isn't that kind of where this offense is going, needs to go, is to have a somebody who's a little bit more of a passing game threat uh, as opposed to uh, a blocking threat when you just look at the way that they're constructed, the way that they made their big plays, the, the what they're going to have on the outside, and, and how they kind of got their hot run going towards the Super Bowl was in opening it up and, and passing the ball and throwing it. And, and uh, again, on the field, I think that's where you see – uh, Hayden Hurst potentially putting up big numbers. And if that's what we're talking about is big numbers in the passing game. I think that's where you could see him uh, make an impact. All right, let's, let's uh, flip it forward. Let's have a little fun. Let's bring in, a, bring in our good friend Mo Egger uh, and, and chat a little bit about everyone's favorite debate and one that he just can't get enough of. So I'm not going to hold him back, Jay. I'm no. not, I'm not, I'm not going to put the restraints on him. I say we Let just the- go all out. And we'll come back and we'll get into more Bengals mailbag questions that you have sent in when we come back. But now, let's talk to Mo. You know what? I'm going to just ask Jay to get the numbers out of the way here real quick. How many tweets did Mo have this past week? He had 107. 107. A very average week for you. But I would say those 107, there was a high percentage of impactful (laughs) tweets in there, specifically regarding everyone's favorite topic right now, and that it was... Fantasy football, Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson, and I want to appreciate for you uh, to. I want to I'll offer my appreciation of you leading the charge on this. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. Know. You know, I I I badly wish <clears throat> the Reds were in contention. Right? It'd be great. It'd be great if, like, <clears throat> you know, it's post Memorial Day and the Reds have like a four or five game lead in the National League Central. We're like, you know, diving into the throes of a, of a pennant race. But I got to tell you what, if you said you could trade, you either get a pennant race or you get Tommy Pham versus Jock Peterson. I'm probably picking a pennant race, but I'd have to think about it. <laughs> it's just close. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's a gift that keeps on giving. If you haven't read C-Trend's story today, uh, make sure you, you hop in to learn more about the fact that we learned that. Mike Trout is the commissioner of the league, and his Tommy family like tell you he's doing a terrible job. 
<laughs> yeah, and and so now we need to hear from Mike Trout, and yeah. you know who's the the greatest player of this this you know generation, surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. There's nobody who would dispute that. Unfortunately, he never really has had the postseason stage uh, to 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 display his his talents to a, you know a large mass audience. But what I want Mike Trout to do is say. I'm as good at being a fantasy football commissioner as Tommy Pham is at playing baseball. And then it's on. And then, then, like, I need Mike Trout to come back at Tommy Pham and hit Tommy Pham where it hurts, which is Trout might be a terrible fantasy football commissioner, but that's cool. You know what? I'm going to the Hall of Fame. I'm generationally wealthy. I'm one of the greatest players of all time. I've been mentioned in the same uh, sentence as Mickey Mantle. Tommy Pham, you're not. I need Mike Trout now to weigh in on this. We've heard from Jock Peterson in precise, excruciating detail. We've heard from Tommy Pham now twice. Now there's another particular here. There's Mike Trout plus Mike Moustakis is on the fan- is in the fantasy football league. We're not going to get his thoughts. He's not going to weigh. He has an obligation to weigh in. He's here to be a veteran leader. He's here to be one of the spokespeople of the team. Um, he strikes me as a cooler head than Tommy Pham. How are we not going to hear from Moose? Like there's more, there's more layers to this onion to peel back, and I, I put the onus on people like C. Trent to get it done for me because I need this. <laughs> I, I gotta I say, I appreciate C. Trent because my number one question was all these guys making millions of dollars. What was the entry fee? And that was the big question out there until I read his piece this morning or Wednesday morning. And you know, ten thousand sounds like a lot, but I, I did the math. I don't know if you guys have done the math. But for a person making fifty thousand a year, that's like an eighty-five dollar fantasy league. That's not necessary. Mm. That, that's not as high rolling as maybe I thought it would be. Okay, but now are are they charging for waiver claims? How many free transactions do you get? Are there weekly prizes? Uh, do you have to pay up if you break a rule? What's the draft look like? Who pays for the end of season party? Like I, I just I, plus. <laughs> Because they can't do an in-season, in-person draft. They're all playing baseball. Although, mm-hmm. I, you know, to me, the only reason to be in a fantasy football league is for the draft, right? I don't want to draft virtually. We ran out the top of O'Brien's. It's the best. The two years we couldn't do it because of COVID, that sucked. I don't want to do that. So they can't do that during the season. So there has to be some sort of end-of-season gathering, perhaps during the NFL playoffs, maybe in Vegas. What does that look like? Who foots the bill? Like, there's more <laughs> economic, I think, questions than simply – What's the entry fee? And they're making the guy who comes in last pay double. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I like that. Are more fantasy football leagues going to steal that? Mine probably will. I like it. Puts the pressure on you to not sort of, you know, play out the string once you're two and eight and you stop caring about your fantasy football team. Now you've got to care. I like hmm. this. We're going to steal that from this league. We're going to steal that. We're not going to steal the slap, although that could be a fun dynamic, right? <laughs> Whoever comes in last gets slapped by the guy who comes in first, right? Oh, yeah. Now oh. you're really paying attention late in the season. <laughs> I might propose this in our league at our draft, which will be in person. And by the way, Tommy fans invited. He'll go in on a team with me, perhaps. I need a guy who's a stickler for the rules. I need a guy who's going to provide some muscle. I need a guy who takes this seriously, more seriously than I do. There's lots to this. Well, and at that post at that post year party. In Vegas, it'd be very helpful to know someone who's a big dog there. That's what you need. You you, you want to yeah. if you only you knew someone who was a big dog in Vegas, then you could have a really great uh, postseason party. Well, now that the NFL has expanded the postseason and there's a six game wild card weekend, that is a sneaky good Vegas weekend. If you don't want to do the NCAA tournament, if you, maybe you can't do it an entire Saturday or Sunday of college or pro football, like three games Saturday. 
two games Sunday, one game Monday, whatever it was this past year. That's a really good three-day trip that you break off to Vegas and celebrate your fantasy football league. You need Tommy Pham there for that. Yeah. You need a big dog in Vegas. You need a high roller in Vegas. Again, just to provide some muscle, just to provide some beef. Now, what I want to know is this. You go to the craps table with Tommy Pham. Chances are he's playing with more money than you are. Is he one of those guys? Because he strikes me as one that, you know, you go to Vegas. Let's say you play at noon. We're going to gamble for a couple of hours. He loses. Is he now salty the rest of the day? Is like the rest of the day done? Are we not doing dinner? Are we not going out? Is this guy in such a pissy mood now because he lost money? Like there's nothing, nothing worse than going to Vegas with that guy. And I have, and it's awful. Well, I will, I will say this. I don't I don't want to pretend that we're going to talk about anything Bengals. I'm not. We're not. We're just not. <laughs> we're not. This is too good. And I, and I and I want to give you a chance to really flap your wings on this one because you've been kind of restricted. I think to this point. Um, yeah. Here's here's my one question that I have for you in in regards to this, and we'll uh, we'll kind of do it a run pass or boot style. I'm going to do a run pass or boot with you on your favorite detail of this entire story ranked. Okay, so run pass or boot. Trout is the commissioner and doing a terrible job. Uh, everything about Big Dog in Vegas, high roller in many casinos, which only prompts me to wonder which are the ones that he's not a high roller in. If it's just many, it's not all. Uh, yeah. Can we specify which casinos you would not be considered a high roller? And is it a Bellagio thing? Uh, anyway, or third, Jock Peterson's entire interview where he goes through the group chat with the weird hat and the, and the mundane voice. Which of those three, run, pass, or boot? Well, the entire <clears throat> Jock Peterson two-day media availability is just should go in the Hall of Fame <laughs> of <laughs> post-game media scrums. And, and I said to you yesterday, Paul, this is why you guys do what you do and I do what I do because I don't know how anybody covering this story hasn't broken out in laughter as these men. I mean, first of all, Jock Peterson – I've always thought that like the most thoughtful athlete I've ever heard in detailing something they did in the context of a game or their approach or what they did during the offseason was Joey Votto, right? I've thought for years I could listen to Joey Votto talk about hitting for an entire car ride to like Florida, right? Just give me that. Somebody should podcast Joey Votto just talking about hitting because he could describe in ex exceptional detail like every single pitch that every pitcher throws and his thoughts and what he's doing with the bat. I mean, Hell, the, the, the piece in the preseason about his hockey puck bat, which didn't really turn out to be a thing, but uh, I'm reading, you know, thousands of words about this hockey puck bat because Joey Votto is willing to just outline for you why the hockey puck bat is so much better than whatever the hell he was using before. Well, Jock Peterson took that to a different level. First of all, on <laughs> Friday, after this insane game that ends at like midnight, there he is ex explaining in precise detail what happened, why everybody got mad. The, the transaction that was in question. And I'm looking at this going, this is terrific. And then the following night, he was dressed up like I dropped my kid off at daycare. There was a little boy dressed like Jock Peterson today. And I don't think an homage to Jock Peterson. I think that's how five-year-old boys dress. That's what <laughs> Jock looked like. I appreciated that. And then there he is uh, somewhat sheepishly holding up the phone with the, the GIF or the GIF. And, and we're still not you know certain on, on what the correct pronunciation of that is. And, 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 I just I so appreciated and you guys know athletes blow you off. You have a question. They answer it. They want it. No, Jock was there. He was there to explain his side of the story and he did it willingly in exceptional detail. That to me, so far at least, is the absolute best thing about this whole story. So there's Dude. one.
Do we need to explain run pass or boot rules here? You need another two. Are you going to rank now? What's second then? Amongst um, Trout being the commissioner and and doing a terrible job and Big Dog in Vegas, High Roller in many casinos. I think Big Dog in Vegas. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the Tommy fam experience as a Reds fan has been uh, interesting, right? Because first of all, there's, hey, I, I'm here to get my numbers up. Which, by the way, I was cool with. Like, great, get your numbers up. It's going to help the team. Do what you got to do, man. I have no problem with that. I wish more players would say that. Here, I'm here to get my numbers up. What he didn't say and what he probably wanted to say is this team sucks. Uh, We're not going to be very good. So whatever. I'm not going to play in October. I'm going to get my numbers up uh, and and maybe find some new friends for his new fantasy football league that he has to be in. (laughs) I I don't know. So you, you start with that. And then Luke Voigt, the situation with him and Tyler Stevenson where he concusses him. I don't really think it was dirty, but I can appreciate any player sticking up for any one of their teammates at any at any time. My man takes it to a different level where he's talking about Muay Thai and they're going to go to a gym and (laughs) (laughs) what? Huh? What do we what do we got here? And 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 then this this situation here. I mean, this is incredible. My man comes to the ballpark, right? They're playing the Giants. He had the no Jock Peterson's on the team. Tommy Pham showed up at GABP on Friday night, not thinking about playing against the San Francisco Giants and helping his team win, but getting retribution for a fantasy football beef slash GIF argument. This is incredible. <laughs> and then when asked to explain, you know, you said this to me yesterday, Paul, he, he and Jock sort of agree on most of the details of the story. Now, he tends to he, he has said since that there's a few more things that Jock texted that he didn't take issue with, but uh, they, they agree on the, the basic sort of outline of the story here. And then he drops on us. I'm a big dog in Vegas. I'm a high roller. If you would have said to me, pick the Reds player who was going to say that before the season started, I think I would have said Tommy Pham. It's become very (laughs) on brand. And the beauty of this is we're not even a third of the way through the season. Who knows what what other storylines? Let's face it. The Reds are not really in it. Um, They're going to be playing out the string. So when we get to August and September, assuming Tommy is still here, and I hope to God now he is, what else is there that this man is going to provide? because it's been nothing but fantastic. So I'll go with that. And then I'll rank the Mike Trout thing third, only because uh, we haven't heard from him yet, right? Like, I think it's incredible that the best player in the sport is the commissioner of a league, and they said he didn't want to be the commissioner of the league. Mike Trout seemingly has the clout to go, boys, I'm not doing this. I'll be in your league. I'll play for your 10K. But I got, I'm the best player in the sport. I have the burden of carrying this entire freaking sport to, through the rest of the decade. I don't have time to be worrying about waiver wires and trades and fantasy disputes and handing out cash. Who's the treasurer of the league? Is all the money done crypto? Is it virtual? I mean, I, I, there's so many different questions here. I think Mike Trout now has a responsibility to answer them as the league's commissioner. Don't be like Roger Goodell. Don't be like Rob Manfred. Make yourself available as a commissioner and talk about your role in this league unraveling and this uh, fiasco that has, to me, turned into the best story of the 2021, I'm sorry, 2022 baseball season. I would run with Trout as commissioner because as someone who is a commissioner, I know how hard it is. And I know it is a hard job, but you make it easier by I have my own website for these leagues and I the rules are up there mm-hmm. before the season. You take care of that. The the big dog in Vegas thing, I 
I think Tommy Pham is more of a Chihuahua than a Great Dane in Vegas because maybe to the maybe to the layman, yes, he's a big. Ro- There's way more high rollers than Tommy Pham in Vegas. I, I think he's inflating his status there a little bit. What but, do you know about Tommy Pham's status but, in Vegas? Maybe maybe he does roll in and get respect. Vegas. But he's also originally from Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, in his Instagram thing, it's like TFAM LV. He's got he's got the initials of the city in his handle. That's a yeah. pretty big dog. It's a big dog. It's a real well, big it's dog. also not big dog. It's big whale because if you're spent, nobody goes to <laughs> Vegas and wins full time. So if you're going and spending that kind of money, yeah, they they are very appreciative of of his patronage because I'm sure he's uh, do- donating quite a bit of his 401k to to those nice. What are his games luxury of hotels? Right, because yeah. you know who you don't want to be. If Tommy Pham is a blackjack player and you're to his right, and you make the wrong decision and it screws mm-hmm. up his hand, look out. Slap you him. know, I'm finding uh, you Pit know, boss is coming over. Jay and Tommy might have some stuff to talk about because I have played blackjack next to Jay before, and he likes to analyze <laughs> other people's moves and uh, that how they were not proper and how they cost him his money. Right, and, but he's uh, not slapping them. No, no, Jay is not slapping, but there's there's a look. There's, there's eye rolls. There's a, yeah, yeah. I've, there's size. I have tried to mentor. <laughs> I mean, I, I've said like, hey, man, you know, next time you probably don't want to do that. And here's why. And that's OK. I think that's that's helpful. It's helpful to you. It's helpful to them. It's helpful to the rest of the table. It's great. Hmm. Does Tommy fans skip that step and just slap the person? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> strikes me as. And the other thing that's amazing about this is the length of time. This was during the 2020 season, okay? This wasn't a month ago. This was during the 2020 season. My man sat there for a year and a half and waited to get retribution. That is incredible. Also, why? Why has nobody gotten comment from Jeff Wilson? (laughs) The San Francisco 49ers have a marvelous beat writer for The Athletic. I think it's David Lombardi. He's incredible. Does a great job. Why has no one heard from Jeff Wilson (laughs) about this? This guy woke up on Saturday morning at the center of the greatest baseball story in decades. And he hasn't tweeted about it. I've checked his Twitter feed every 10 minutes. I'm trying to get him on the air. Why has nobody heard from Jeff Wilson? Why has nobody gotten comment from Jeff Wilson? I want, I I do want trout at a podium uh, in a full like suit like real commissioner style, giving a giving a keynote address, maybe create a logo for their league that can go on the front of the podium too, so it can look like the MLB where the MLB logo would be, and make it real official and like just take this seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, he's gonna have they're gonna make him available at like the All Star game or something, right? So he's gonna have this forum. Also, I would love to have been in the room when somebody approached David Bell and said, "Hey." Um, the Giants are requesting that Tommy Pham doesn't play tonight. Oh, yeah? Why? Well, remember when he went out to the warning track and slapped Jock Peterson? Yeah. <laughs> like, David Bell's got a hard enough gig right now. Yeah, He's got to worry really about does. his players <laughs> slapping other dudes over fantasy football texts. I mean, this is just... <laughs> This is simply amazing. I know that this spot is very normally reserved for Bengals talk, but that just didn't feel right today. No. It felt like it felt like it would have been doing a disservice to this topic that that and you know what? I mean, football is a part of the conversation, so it really all ties in together. But we just went I wanted to make sure I gave you an opportunity to to make sure we could kind of uh just get some things off your chest with it. So but we don't I, I just wanted to make sure we address the fact that there's just no bangles in this because it's just too good. 
there's nothing going on with the Bengals. And, and I mean, look, <laughs> what I love about this is we're doing this on Wednesday morning. This this story first began to unfold on Friday afternoon. And here we are five days later. <laughs> we're still talking about it. And there's still so many unanswered questions. Yeah, this has legs that could really carry this till, I don't know, the start of the football season. I mean, and, let, just... and let's be honest for you. You kind of need it. It's going to oh, it's, it's a it's a long way until we get to camp. This was pennies from heaven, man. I mean, this <laughs> <laughs> this this could not have been uh, this could not have been timed better. This was perfect. And I thank everybody involved for bringing this into my life. This is just the best. Well, Mo, we, we thank you for uh, bringing these last uh, 18 minutes into our life. It was highly <laughs> enjoyable. And uh, we'll catch up with you next week. And maybe we'll have Bengals questions for you then. Yeah, well, yeah, because you have questions for me about the Bengals. That, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later. All right, thanks to Mo, our, our, our big dog in Cincinnati, really. I mean, at this point, I would say. Unleashed. Yes. Uh, fun count. Just just great. I, I, I enjoy everything about all this. And shout out to C. Trent and everybody that's following um, this story for us. And please go read his story right now up in the athletic as it gets into the details of the league and the incident and the things yelled in the clubhouse and everything else that has come of this. It's just fantastic stuff as always. Uh, let's dive into some mailbag. Um, I want to discuss a little bit more something I wrote about in the mailbag on Friday. And that was because so many people, so many people continue to ask about this and we've addressed it a bunch here, but I just want to kind of talk more about this idea of wide receiver four. Um, and in sort of, when I wrote it last week, I was like, look, let's let's go through the last five years. Let's look at who are the fourth most used receivers. What does that look like? Who are they? How, what percentage are we talking about of the actual of the actual snaps from from these guys? And you go back the last two years for those that say, how could you have Mike Thomas as the fourth receiver? He's been the fourth receiver the last two years, and he was at. 13% last year and 21% of the total snaps uh, in 2020. I mean, he's played this role. Their argument would be, we know who he is. He's really effective on special teams, which is a really important part of being wide receiver four. He is uh, a player that they know what they're going to get. They know he knows the offense. He can run the routes. He can do all those things. And, you know, finding somebody else who can come in and check all those boxes. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but certainly in a free agency matter, people don't want to come here and sit and watch the big three play. They want to go somewhere where they can play somewhere. And so it's hard to do that. So if you're talking about where it can come from, waiver wires, maybe trades, when you get to later into this season, I would think if something happens in the preseason or in camp and you have an injury at the receiver position early, uh, maybe you see a, a move get made to try to find another body there. But for now, I don't get the sense that there's some urgency or anything resembling panic um, about wide receiver four for as much as we hear. And that's maybe a boring thought. Uh, it's not as exciting as going out and trying to overpay Will Fuller or whatever the hell you want to do. Um, but I think that's where they stand on it. You know, I – Similar to how you piggybacked off of my stats and in, in the receiver and sophomore something, I, I tried to do it with with your wide receiver four piece, looking at, at what those numbers have looked like for the Bengals. I looked at the top ten passing offenses last year, 
and what their wide receiver four looked like. And um, it didn't quite work out. So here's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I threw my hands up once I got to about five or six. Hashtag Jay's got failed stats. Yeah, well, Tampa Bay's number four was Antonio Bryant or Antonio Brown. Now, you know, that's just a outlier situation you would think, but no. Rams, number four wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. I got to the Raiders, number four wide receiver, Henry Ruggs. There were just all these weird situations that made guys that aren't really the number four receiver the number four receiver. Um, but the, the other ones, it, it was similar. It, it's, you know, 30, 25 to 35 catches. And it, you're just not going to get a lot of impact from from that guy, whoever it is. You There's there's only so many passes to go around. Now, yes, if, if there's an injury – um, you, you would like to have someone that could step in and, and not be much of a drop off, but realistically it's, it's, if you have to be light at a position, that's probably the best one to be light at when you are so top heavy as the Bengals are with arguably the, the best trio of starting receivers in the league. And look, I mean, let's look at some of the great quarterbacks of our generation Name me their great receivers and their how they make great receivers happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, whatever. I mean, people that that made great receivers happen. You don't have to be carried by great receivers when you have Joe Burrow. When you have a flexible scheme, uh, you can run more twelve. You can run more stuff that focuses on Jamar if T's out. You can run stuff that focuses more on what T and Tyler can do if you have Jamar out. And it, it you can you can scheme things around. Burrow can make things happen. There's so many. You, you lose two. Yeah, you might be seeing a significant drop off, but who can't say that? Like every team right now, if you say you lost two of your top three receivers, is going to say, "Damn, <laughs> that's a big, that's a game changer." That's just part of it, right? Yeah. And and so the fact that they don't have elite depth, you know, they do have elite quarterback. And that tends to make up for that as well. And if we're sitting here talking about wide receiver four, bemoaning wide receiver four in June, um, you're in a good place roster-wise. And again, you can see additions that might happen as guys get let go from other teams or whatever as that goes on. We'll see. But for now, um, I would say some of the discussion over it and maybe the intensity of thinking that something has to happen – um, is is not something that exists in inside of the building as much. Uh, let's go. Jason Fair has a question. This is kind of again. We're just it's the day of piggybacking. It's kind of piggybacking. So if the injury bug hits, which position groups are in the most danger? Jay. Well, I, we just said it doesn't matter. You're but gonna I think- go receiver. Are you gonna go receiver? <laughs> well, I mean, there's there. I mean, that is. There's no doubt that that's going to be a drop off. Um, well, quarterback, obviously. Um, no, that's, tight end, we obviously. <laughs> tight end. I mean, if something happens to Hayden Hurst, are you comfortable with Mitch Wilcox and and Drew Sample? You're. They are not going to put up CJ type of numbers. You wouldn't think. Um, and I, I think they. We talked about it. I think they're good at linebacker with with the emergence of Marcus Bailey and then Akeem Davis Gaither. If, if something happens to one of the, the two regular starters, I guess maybe defensive tackle would be the other area. It, it was, 
something that we thought would be more addressed in the draft. They did get Zach Carter. Maybe he can slide inside. They've got Cam Sample. You've got guys that you can move in there. But to have a a true three technique, um, if something happens to BJ Hill, that that might be the the biggest concern. I'd ha- I'd still say it's interior offensive line. I me mean, for me, yeah. I I still I look at. You know, we're talking about if you lose Ted Karras, if you lose Alex Kappa, you're right back where you started. If not worse, I mean, at center, we're talking about Trey Hill or Ben Brown or, mm-hmm. I guess, um, Karras specifically to me, if I was guessing where my my war would end up, which the the wins above replacement I like to do before every year, who you can least afford to lose if an injury happens, the most significant fall off, obviously be on quarterback. Karras might end up being up there just yeah. because I don't know what the answer is at center that anybody's going to feel good about. At least at guard, I mean, you don't feel great, but you know, you did draft Volson. You have Carmen who you took. You could push Deontay Smith inside. You've got a Denigy who played. I mean, those things might not excite you. Um, at least there, you have something. Um, tackle is not as bad. You know, you Deontay Smith, I think you feel like can play tackle in this league. Prince played okay enough for you last year. You've got the two starters. I don't think you feel as bad there, but to me, center. And then to a lesser extent, the guard spots, um, I to me, still stands out as where you're still nervous about injuries putting you right back where you were last year. Yeah, I mean, a big question is going to be Ben Brown. He was a guy that probably would have been a mid-round pick had it not been for the injury. The Bengals pluck him in, in uh, free agency after the draft. Uh, we saw him running with the twos because of of Kappa being out. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops and how much of a benefit because he he's a guy that can play center or guard and and what what he can give them as far as depth at, at that spot where you're right I it was I just felt like well the O line's been fixed and it just didn't even enter my mind but yes it it may have been fixed but it's still a little thin in in the interior. Uh, another question from Bengals Shadow Twenty: What changes to the offense do you envision with the offensive line additions? You know what we're doing there with that question, Jay? We're piggybacking. Uh, what changes to the offense can you envision now that you have these guys? Uh, you know, for me is not necessarily a, a, I guess it would be additions, but more usage. You know, there's lots of, you know, deep drops in their playbook and they ran plenty, some deep drops. They ran a lot less, uh, as last year went on, but you know, they weren't still weren't afraid to still call them some. It's how, kind of how you end up with seventy sacks, but uh, you know you they they ran them, and I just think you'll see more successful usage and overall usage of deep drops of the play action deep drops, and and not afraid to do some stuff that has longer developing plays. And 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 that doesn't mean that there was none last year, or that they're going to do away with quick game. I mean, you're still going to see a combination of all that stuff. I just think you'll see, you know, a five to ten percent shift from quick game to some of the longer developing stuff that you see in that's old parts of the Ram system and just stuff that they have in their playbook. So, to me, that's 
the the difference. And I mean, you can talk about some run game stuff probably too, Jay, and you might be able yeah, to do that. But um, to me, I think the most significant change that I expect to see is just that percentage shift uh, of willingness to use some of the longer developing stuff. Yeah, you you read my mind because that was the, so much of the focus on improving the offensive line was on protecting Joe Burrow, but. I think you're going to see them more comfortable to run the ball in the red zone, something you alluded to in your mailbag. I think they're going to be more willing to the, the third and ones, the short yardage where we saw them pass so much. They were so bad in in, in those short yardage situations and converting them with run plays. And I, I think that's a big part of it too, where you're, you've got not just borough protectors, but you've got people movers in there where you can create those, those, holes in tight spots for for Joe Mixon or whoever's in the backfield it it gets overlooked sometimes because Mixon had a really good year but there there were plenty of times that they struggled to run the ball third and one in the Super Bowl comes immediately to mind um so I I think that is another area where you can see it, it sounds odd to say run the ball is going to open up the offense, but but I do I think it will. I think it's going to give them more options, um, having a better quality offensive line. It's not all about just keeping Joe Burrow upright. Totally agree. Let's get to some important questions here, Jay. Okay. Uh this from at Aaron Hake. Hey Aaron. From- I know Aaron. <laughs> You know Aaron? I do know Aaron. Yes, he's he's. I, I, I don't think he lives in Hamilton anymore, but he's he he was my mailman at a time. <laughs> then, then this makes so much sense. You want specifically <laughs> to know from you? Have this is what he would have talked to you about as you were uh, mowing your grass with your shirt off, and he's delivering the mail to you. He just said, "Have you tried the burger at Arby's, Jay?" I have. Okay, this was. <laughs> I, I I was suspect i was like why why is arby's doing burgers they stick to what you do well why there's no ham but you're gonna have hamburgers that just it didn't make any sense so okay this is a long story but i have a friend that has als and and we go down and do yard work at his house and try to help out his wife and um i went down sunday morning i was the only one able to make it so i i did yard work at his house for five hours hadn't eaten i was driving home parched so I stop at an Arby's to get an orange cream shake. I, I love those. It's my guilty pleasure. And I was reminded I'd forgot about it. We were going to go to a pool party and I knew there was going to be food at the pool party, but I saw the ad on the drive through menu board for the burger. And I was like, all right, I'll try one. Um, <laughs> it was freaking awesome. I, I, I don't get a lot of fast food burgers. I, I'm more of a chicken and turkey type of person, but, and maybe it was because I was just so damn hungry but it was really good it's it's a steak burger it is thick it's it's cooked medium instead of well done like most fast food burgers the it had a great soft brioche bun had all the fixings i don't know what the sauce it looks like thousand island but it doesn't quite taste like thousand island it was just i've been thinking about going back and getting another one since getting that one on sunday what a stunning turn of events (laughs) That you love the decisions that those that run Arby's and send you meat sweats and gift cards have decided to make. I'm just—it's really surprising to see this. this I'm not angling for anything. This is just oh, this course. is a true, honest opinion. I yes. and I have I have receipts. I texted in my friend group the other ones that go down and do the yard work from time to time about my Arby's experience, and my friend 
10 minutes later, sent me a picture of his Arby's bag. He went to see if it was as good as I said, and, and he agreed with me. Well, then it's settled. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> 2-0, and undefeated. Uh, I feel like I'm being guilted into having to try this thing, and I don't. I just I don't. I don't know if I can do it, but maybe I will. All right, last question. This one came from friend of the program Will Lutz, uh, who said, "What is the best food? Uh, what is the best food road trip on the Bengals' 2022 schedule?" I have a top three, and I'm really torn on my third, but I think I've got my top two. Um, you, pr- I'm. I don't know if you. Maybe you agree. I don't know. Uh, number one, I think, is obvious. Number one is New Orleans. New Orleans yeah. has incredible food. Like, I mean, I can't even start to explain how excited I get to go down there and whether we're talking about gumbos or Cajun shrimp or beignets or any of the incredible. And this and the restaurants down there are off the chart. It's just, it's everything you love. Give me New Orleans all day, every day. No, no, no contention there. Two, Baltimore. Yeah. I, I mean, the crab, when you get in crab cake season. Yes. Like, it, it's hard to beat. Like the, the meals are so good. That dinner is so good every year. You love going to Baltimore. I mean, they just, it's, you, I know what you're getting. You know what you're getting. It's not, it's not about variety. Like I think New Orleans has a has variety and sort of some specific specialties that you appreciate that so puts them above. But like, there's what you are getting is so good. Their one trick on the one their one trick pony, their one trick is fantastic, and I'll take it as my number two. Would you agree or disagree? Do you have something else above it? Um, no, I've never. Well, I've never been to Tampa. I've heard great things about the steakhouse down there and the food down there. I haven't been to New Orleans since I was in junior high and was a super picky eater. So I, I, I would think that that would be at the top of the list. I my Baltimore Baltimore story is I, I've never been a huge seafood fan, and so um, the the first time I went there. PJ Combs from the, the Bengals media relations department insists we go to Moe's every time. And so I tried the crab cakes and never had them before. And they were amazing. You're right. I, I've not done the cracking crabs, but I, every year since I've looked forward to those crab cakes. Not only were they good, they were huge. And I tell people all the time I could only eat one. And then we went out for drinks. And then there I am at 1231 in the morning pulling the other crab cake out of my refrigerator <laughs> in my hotel room with no fork or anything to eat it with and just Ugh. picking it apart with my fingers and just enjoying it just in. as much just it was great it. love it um and third I, i'm i'm sort of torn for a few different reasons tampa is is great and again i'm a seafood lover so i love going down there there is a restaurant that i've kind of fallen in love with called the columbia that dan horde turned me on to uh that went to in the preseason last year that the food was just outstanding i liked it so much we went when we were on a vacation down there in february went made sure to go back uh for date night with my wife and it was every bit as good as i thought it was so that stands out i i haven't gone to burn steakhouse in forever it's it's incredible um it's incredibly expensive but it's worth it uh type of place that said i mean the problem with new york 
is it would be number one for for insane variety and quality. Except again, a lot of times you just stay in Jersey because it's mm-hmm. closer to the stadium. Now, if I, and not that it's hard, you can't go in, but just out of a convenience factor, um, I, I to be really in the heart of the great New York food city. Um, it's a little bit more challenging to do it unless you just stay in there, which you can do. But again, there's just a lot of logistical stuff with that. So while New York is unobvious, uh, I don't have it up there. And then Tennessee, I mean, you start, you start talking about hot chicken and barbecue and so much of the good stuff they have down there. But I, and I've, and I've been to some great places there and it's a hell of a food city. Um, so I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like it's not getting its love because it deserves some uh, as as a great food city. But it's just a tick below New Orleans and Baltimore for me. And sort of those three: Tampa, Tennessee, and New York all have something that has them kind of tied for third. And it's a week out by me. And what I feel like is a very important question that I've probably broken down more than I need to. But uh, that's, you know, I just wanted to make sure I, I, I that's where I stay. That's where I stand on that. Well, unlike the Arby's discussion, I do have an ulterior motive for the food thing because I've, I said I've not been to Tampa. I went on my vacation a couple of weeks ago. We went to Naples for four days and then we went to Daytona for the, the rock festival at Daytona Speedway for four days. And on the way there, we stopped in St. Pete's because my brother works at a, a very cool, um, historic hotel called the Hollander. And, and we, he, he we just stopped by and, and had lunch with him on his lunch break in the hotel. And I had a Cuban sandwich there was fantastic. So if anybody's planning mm-hmm. on going down to the Bengals game in Tampa, um, check out the Hollander Hotel as possibly a place to stay and say hello to my brother Jeff if you do. My sneaky honorable mention pick would be Cleveland because if you go there in in Christmas ale season after three, four, or five of those, everything tastes great. Everything tastes great. That's right. Just order off the entire Great Lakes menu down there at their <laughs> restaurant, and you'll just be so happy. It's true. The Great Lakes factor. So that's that's uh, that, that's my list. Thanks, Will, for the question. And thanks, everybody, for all the questions. There's so many more that we haven't been able to get to. We'll keep trying to. Keep sending them to us, um, and, and we'll keep trying to get to, especially in these off-season ones. We want to be answering whatever questions you have. Uh, so keep sending them in, either to us on Twitter, um, or, of course, you can send them to me in my email. P. Daner at theathletic.com. Uh, all right. That wraps us up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week as we see helmets. Jay, <laughs> helmets. Wow. Yes. Helmets next week. So uh, we're uh, kind of a next step in the process that we'll be able to talk about on the pod then. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.